Yes, ma'am. And on property where um, a person's deceased and there are no immediate heirs and there's property that's just sitting, holding, how do you find? So the question, I believe, is you said there's an heir, uh, somebody's passed away, and there's zero heirs that you can find. No immediate heirs. No immediate so heirs. So they're like extended family. Yeah. Check the tax assessor's website, see who's been paying the taxes. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody's been paying the taxes, then you need to go... Well, here's here's another thing you can do too. Uh, there, there's always an heir, right? So if there's not an immediate uh, son or, or or child, there is. Uh, then you can go to the next layer. It could be cousins, sisters, brothers, right? So um, what I what I usually do on that is I run a expensive background on the person that passed away, and we start calling every individual heir on there. Um, so if you need help with that, um, get with Shannon. Uh, we have a, a pretty good data set. Uh, we bought our data company probably three months now, so we can find anybody in the country, right? So um, that, that's what I would do, and then start going down the list. What about you? What do you think? Um, Ancestry.com is a pretty interesting place. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times you can find links to other family members. It might be a... It might be a <laughs> Maybe not. It might be a, um, you know, a great niece, a great nephew. You know, should turn it up. That's why you tried to hand it to me first. Check, 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 Kind of finagle your way around a little bit. Um, checking the taxes is a very good one. And then I would talk to the neighbors if you haven't already. Yeah. Because a lot of times the neighbors will know something. A lot more if you will give them. Oh, yes, sir. So, to piggyback off her question, I ran into a similar um, situation. What about if the nearest heir or relative doesn't want to do anything with it? Offer them money. Everybody likes money. Right. Say, listen, I, all you have, because in, in North Carolina, you just have to fill out that air of affidavit of airship. And that gives that person once that is goes uncontested, then that person can have the property and do what they want to do with it. Okay. Right. So they have to fill out paperwork. So over here and then I'm going to come back to you. Uh, were you hinting towards like the adverse possession route if there's absolutely no way? That's the situation I'm in is that the neighbor said that she's been deceased since 01 and the house looks like it's been sitting since 01. So like I went through the extensive skip trace, trying to see who's paying taxes and no one's paying taxes. And so the next route was for the adverse possession. But then it's like you get in there and like, what do you do is you have to put your own money into it. Yeah. And then you could like put the maintenance lien. But have you guys ever heard of the city coming down on you? The maintenance thing protects you to kind of get your investment back, but you have to hope that you get the renters in there really make your money back. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a difficult one, and it's one that's going to involve capital. Uh, adverse possession, you're going to have to catch the taxes up, continue paying taxes, do some improvements to the property. Um, yeah, here it's a little different. Wait, so what happens here if somebody doesn't pay the taxes? It goes. What's the tax sale? How many years? It, they, yeah. they don't have an answer. North Carolina is weird. They do whatever they want. They can go as... It could be 17 years. It could be two years. One, one day pass, 
not paying your taxes, they're allowed to start the foreclosure process. I've seen properties 14 years of no taxes. So do they sell off the taxes prior to that? No, so, so we're, not a le we're not a lien state. So North Carolina is a deed state. But if they feel like they can't sell it and get anything, they'll just let it sit and rot. Don't bribe somebody at the... Don't, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> is the sheriff still in here? Probably. Um, let, me, let me say that again for the record. Um, go sweet talk somebody down at the tax assessor's office and just give them a sad story and say, hey, look, I really need your help. This house is sitting there. I, I just, I'm, I feel so emotionally connected to this house. By the way, I brought you some coffee um, and, and a bag of donut holes. And I just, I really want to do something. It's just sitting there and it's falling apart. And I've got that, just this strong connection to this. I would love to fix it up. I would love to, to make this thing beautiful again and, and really bring this house back to life, but I can't do it without your help. Do you know the direction you can point me in? You all, you all laugh and giggle because it is kind of funny, but this man has keys to the court, two courthouses. Wow. <laughs> we can go anytime to pull records. Sweet talk, people. The, the ladies at our courthouse have handed us the phone when somebody couldn't pay their taxes and it was close to the deadline. They have said, hang on just a second. We may have somebody that can help you. And we started the process of buying a house on the courthouse phone. Yeah. It's a relationship business. We're in the business of solving problems, right? So you got to look at that every house has a, a, a route to be claimed. And you just have to kind of spend that time. Do you know how long adverse possession is in North Carolina? 20 years, man. It, I, think, 20. I think it's 2021. Within seven years, you can appeal to the court. Okay. Um, I talked to the tax assessor. They weren't even money hungry. They're like come up with something and make it happen. And so I was advised a hundred bucks will do. And then I just slowly chip away. It doesn't have to be a set thousand dollars a month or a set fifty dollars a month. It's just make an attempt. But you have to put PWC or whatever your electricity is so the time starts. You can't just change locks and say, well it's starting mm -hmm. today. It's a seven twenty. Most likely most of the time twenty, but seven miracles have happened. Yeah. I mean adverse possession is, is a risky thing to do. It can happen. I had a friend that just scored like a $200,000 wholesale deal by stepping in an adverse possession and then going to the actual heir of the property and then taking it back fully renovated, right? So it's, it's, it's a way to do it. Um, just, just do it. The neighbors, they're like, she had nobody. And so I was like, okay, still extensive skip trace and they even paid more to find out more just to come up with the same answer. So do you have a good relationship with the neighbors? Now I have. Uh, one of them's the neighborhood watch leader, so <laughs> they want it cleaned up. So, so just imagine if the neighborhood watch leader came down to the tax assessor's office with you. But you have, you have, there's codes. You can do it. There's, there's a general statute that you can follow if you want to go the adverse possession route. And if it's a hundred bucks and electricity in your name, then go for it. You know, I'll see you in seven years. Let me know what happens. Yes, sir. So do you own it at that point? I mean, Once you make that appeal to the court and they, they decide that if they're going to, they went through everything, their process, it's going to cost some money. But yeah, you do. It's called ad adverse possession. Yes, sir. Um, Adam Brent, thanks for coming, guys. Max, thanks for having us. Absolutely. I work for the post office. Oh, love it. <laughs> One of my questions is, uh, what would you do if you guys were I have them machine app, and yeah. I talk to my coworkers all the time. You talk to them, and they're ready to go, but then after a while, it's kind of like they don't 
They don't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so what would you guys do? I would keep beating the dead horse, right? It's like, hey, look, I'll give you 500 bucks. I'll give you 1000 bucks for every house. Uh, you find that I can buy. Just sign up under my, here goes the link. Sign up for Deal Machine. Take a picture of these. And you want to, you, in, in those situations, people are motivated by money in the beginning, right? They're like, oh, wow, you're going to give me money. And then, you know, two weeks of taking pictures, you don't say anything. Give them updates of what's going on, right? Call them. Say, hey, look, I seen you added this property. Or whenever you see him in the break room at work or whatever, I've, see, I've seen you added this property. Um, I've sent out a letter. I've tried to reach out to the thing. I'm still working on it. I'll let you know any updates as soon as it comes. That open line of communication still gives them hope. And once you pay that first coworker, it's wildfire after that. But if you need to find the information faster, Shannon can help you go beyond an actual postcard, and or you can try to skip trace it yourself um, and, and find that person. Do you run a route? I do. Okay. Do you have the option to switch up your routes? No. I'm no. on regular, so I keep the same route, and my route is two fifty to five hundred thousand dollar houses, yeah. and realtors are all over that place. Yeah. yeah, we know like we know several of them that have literally just they taken different routes. Yeah, uh, just because yeah. they got you know they got one check. The next thing you know, they're like, I, I ain't worried about telling everybody else. I'm gonna get them all. Yeah. I got my station manager because uh, I I did do a deal uh, with one of my coworkers. He put some money on a rehab that I was working on, and I'm trying to get him to kind of spread the word for me. Um, that's pretty much all I got. How, how many were they sending to you when you were? Like when you got the most leads in, in in any given week, how many was it? Um, well, one guy sent like four or five, and two other guys uh, sent like, <coughs> but everybody else was sending the house and it didn't really fit. So what I thought about doing was getting like five or six houses from a deal machine app and showing them what type of houses we're looking for, spread out and send it to everybody in my, in my station. Maybe so. Yeah, training them is good. Set the expectations, but if you've got it in the budget. I mean, you may want to entice them by paying them $2 for every vetted lead um, and $500 every time you close one. Even if it's just, because I mean, you got to think just an extra, if they pick up 20 houses in one week, that's an extra 40 bucks that pays for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and they get a little bit of that immediate. And for a post office, that's something they're doing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not doing anything really extra except for taking a picture. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So my question is on probate. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to figure a way to like get those leads quicker and streamline. So the you know, foreclosures, I found a way to do that. Probate, I, the only way I've found so far is you got to go down to the courthouse and they just bring stacks at a time. Yeah. Is there a faster way to do that? Uh, before I started telling everybody to go to the probate, you can actually walk back there. Um, you can walk back in that file room and then just start taking pictures, you can do 200 in a day, or you know, I used to pay somebody to go back there. But I think, as I told people that, hey, you can go to the probate office and get deals, they're very particular about their files being in orders. And, and if people take that, you know, if people abuse that power, then they took it away. So I'm assuming somebody abused that power. Um, they told me, like, I go there and they said, well, we'll just bring you 10. Yeah, they started that because somebody did that. But is there a faster way to where you're not somebody is not physically just being there? Yeah, so you can go to the computers, and and look up probates. Um, it's difficult. You have to learn that old computer system, but you can do it that way too. The computers are free. They're in the in. The, are you talking about Forsyth? Yeah. Yeah, they're in that hallway that connects the clerk's office and the probate room. 
If you really want to beat people, use the obituaries. Because the, obit the obituaries are going to get published before... The obituaries are going to get published before the probate is ever filed because typically the obituary is going to go in and it's going to talk about the funeral arrangements, which means it's quick. So what you do is you pull the obituary and guess what they do? They list all the surviving relatives. Right? So you pull the probate information and then you check it against the property records. If they own real property, then you already have a list of all the relatives you need to be contacted. And obituaries are online. Yeah, obituaries online. You can literally build a web scraper. Well, I think that's enough for tonight. Yes, I am going to need ten percent, though. So, continuing in, even in that vein, um, what will be your process of going through probate? Um, I'm just curious because I'm on the opposite. What process? What do you mean? Like from the start of pulling the list. Yeah, so typically when you go to the probate in, in North Carolina, there's this one sh form called administrative's application for administrative for probate. On that sheet, list who the deceased person is, who the person is that applying for probate, their phone number, and their address. And then if you flip that sheet over, probably a couple sheets later, there is a accounting of what the person owns. Um, and that you can tell if they have real property at the last line right before... The thing when you say you're on the other side, what do you mean? I'm actually going through it, so I was just curious. Got it. So yeah, so that that so you know, so that form. So when you have to start filling out that per, this car they have, this bank account they own, stocks and bonds, and then it says real property, and you put the address and you put the tax value, right? Um, that is when you call somebody and say, hey, um, are you interested in selling the property? At blah blah blah, and they be like, how do you know? Or what do you know? Well, I'm just I'm just calling concerned see if you have it if you if you are interested in selling it's just a real you don't say hey I went to the courthouse and looked up the dead people files and seen blah 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 and are you interested in selling a house no that's not how you approach it it's just just literally a random phone call yeah because I just had it was kind of somebody called you somebody called me recently and was like hey I've been trying to reach clearance and I was like you're not gonna reach over and let, if you do <laughs> right. let me know right. <laughs> all, um, yeah. a lot of stuff going on right do you, you cold call yours yeah that's the, that's the only one that we mail first. Mm -hmm. um, uh, get used to it, man. October. I, I'm going to get one of those fancy ones like oh, okay. you. Um, no, so we actually mail them. Um, all of our other marketing goes text. Whoever we don't get, we cold call. Whoever we don't get goes in a mail loop. Um, but what we do on the probates is we'll pull whoever the petitioner is. I don't know what you guys call it here. Personal representative or executive, executive or whatever. Administrator. Um, but we will actually pull their information and the deceased information and we'll send it to, um, we'll send a normal, the same generic letter we send to everybody, we send to the deceased person at their mailing address and then we mail it to the deceased person at that executor's address. And usually just that curiosity will make them pick up the phone. They'll say, well, why, you know, why did you mail it to my address? And I just say, look, you know, I, I, we found that after dealing with a bunch of return mail and things like that, it's best if we just pull up a list of possible addresses and blast them out. Is it something you're interested in selling? And then they're gonna say, they passed away, and you're, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And if now's not a good time, I totally understand, but it is or they wouldn't call you. And there's, and there's two trains of thought to that. There are some people who, there are some people who, there, there some people who, who say, get it right out of the way. And I don't, you know, I don't feel like either or is the right way. It's whatever you're the most comfortable with. For me, I don't like to bring up 
touchy situations. I'm not comfortable talking about it. I want them to talk about it. So, but there are some people who, hey, we're so sorry about your loss, yada, yada, yada. And I know people that do extremely well sending that type of mailer out or sending that kind of type of message out. Just for me personally, that's what that's my preference. That's how I would like to be contacted versus knowing somebody's been digging through my business. Can, can I say one thing real quick? Raise your hand again if y'all are, are not done a deal. Okay, so something very, very important to remember is that there, there's some things in this business that you need to do a specific way. The vast majority is not what's right, it's what's right for you. So it's very important. You need to, to take in all the information just like that. Like Max does his a little bit different. We do ours a little bit different. The next person might do theirs a little bit different. Learn from all those people and take them. Yours might be one of them. It might be a combination of two or three of them. Find your but own way. Find what works for you. Yeah, we typically don't change. Our phone call is very much the same all the time. Um, we don't try to say, oh, we saw this, or hey, we saw you in foreclosure, hey, we saw you at the probate office. We make it very random all the way through. I mean, you can even start the phone call conversation by saying, hey, uh, my partner asked me to follow up with you on an uh, offer that he sent you on a property that you own on 123 Main Street or on Main Street. And they're like, no, I didn't, I, I didn't talk to your partner. Oh, well, I, I must have got the wrong number. Um, yeah, we must. We le we left a, you know, an offer with a, a gentleman or a lady at on, on for a house on Main Street. Well, I do own a house on Main Street. Well, are you, are you interested in selling? So you just different ways to approach it. There's all different types of ways to do it. You just want to get that break that barrier down of, of a cold call, the best way you possibly can. Yes, ma'am. Um, hello everyone, I'm Diana. Um, so I got really excited recently. Um, I got like my first lead. The phone rang. Um, the lady, I went to go meet her and she had a tenant in the property mm -hmm. and the tenant would not let us in the property to actually yeah. see the house. And she was very, she was just very like rude and she just wouldn't let us in. And so, um, we scheduled another time for us to come back and she like, the owner left her like a notice saying we're going to come back on this day at a certain time. Um, this is your notice and then we come back a second time, she doesn't let us in again. Um, so, like, what would you do in that situation? Like, would you sign Ask for a discount? Yeah, so I, I, I do the same thing. Uh, we're closing on a house on the 3rd where he had a tenant for 13 years. And I closed this one over the phone. And it was, hey, I don't really want to disturb my tenant. Um, you know, is there any other way we can do this? Absolutely, there's another way we can do this. Well, I can buy this property and never see it. But this is my never see it price. Right? <laughs> Right? Because you know, typically, I'm going to go think in worst case scenario in my head, okay, boom, it's going to, this was a 3 2 condominium. Most it's going to take is $20,000, $25,000 to fix it up. All right, boom. That's my price. This is my, we don't have to disturb your tenant. All I got to verify is that they moved out. Once they move out, I will purchase it. And um, if you get a good enough discount, pass that discount on to your flipper. And he's going to enjoy the discount as well. Well, one thing, and, and so I, I have an insurance license, so it's very easy for me. And a lot of times what we'll do in that situation is they'll say, hey, I've got an insurance guy coming by to walk through the property, right? Sounds normal. I'm an insurance guy, so we're not lying. They didn't say I was there to do insurance. They just said they had an insurance guy coming through. Um, what, if you don't have an insurance license, one of the things that you can do 
is let's say in that case, um, the seller could have said, hey, I've got a friend of mine. She's gonna come by and look at the house. Um, she needs to get an idea of any repairs that it needs. So if you can think of anything, go ahead and write them down, make sure to point them out when she gets there. And then it's not, because tenants are- Every, Tenants always want stuff fixed. So that's a good route to go. Hey, I'm gonna send a contractor by. Uh, they're gonna take notes on anything that needs to be fixed and we're gonna get some repair estimates. They're going to know everything that's wrong. Yeah, tell you They're everything. excited to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Hi. Hello. So happy to be here. <laughs> Glad you're here. I'm Tanya. Um, so, our business is consisting of myself, my husband, and my 18-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about getting a notary license. Would I be able to do the notary even though it's under us or no? You couldn't notarize your own signature. Okay. You can notarize somebody else's signature. Okay. But you can't notarize your own. Because I was thinking if the paperwork was under like my husband or my daughter, that I can notarize it. I know. No. I, I'm thinking Mississippi, um, and I know in Mississippi you can't notarize your significant other. Well, if it's your husband or my wife, my mm -hmm. wife's notary. So what advantage do you think getting a notary license would give you? Yeah. Not paying so much for a notary. It's five bucks. Then, or go to your bank, it's free. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't okay. waste the time. Yeah. I don't think the time, I, I spend that time and energy going to find another deal. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, hi, my name is Jayla. Um, and my question yeah, so if you're, if even, my name is never on any contract except for the signature. Because okay. I'm a member of the LLC and I have signing rights, so I can sign on behalf of the LLC committing them to that property. Even if you're assigned Yep. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it doesn't, it's signing it just means you're going to assign it to somebody else. Right. It doesn't matter who that person or entity is. Mm -hmm. You're just going to remove your name and put somebody else's name on it before the sale. Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Rudy. I had a question for you. Uh, I'm like super green to this whole wholesaling thing, but mm -hmm. I'm soaking it up. But what's the formula you use to actually come up with your offer? Yeah, so in North Carolina, most of North Carolina, Charlotte's probably a little different. Hot areas in Raleigh are pretty different. To know you significantly have a deal, like slam dunk. You find the ARV, so you find the value of the property. Um, I would say in the in most of the in in most of Winston Salem in the Triad, Zillow is not terrible. It's not your hit number, but it's not terrible. Um, I found that we have a lot. We we record data very fast. Um, we are a disclosure state, so Zillow has every sale in the area. But it's better if you know the area to get a better ARV. But you let's just say a house is worth a hundred thousand, right? Fixed up uh, in most of the triad, you're going to want to deduct 30% of that off the top, right? So that's going to what's that's what significates makes it a deal. So now we're at 70,000, right? So let's just say you have you walk through and it's $20,000 of repairs, right? There's no such thing as $10,000 of repairs, so don't ever use that number. So you're at $20,000 of repairs. So now the property maximum out offer you can make is 50, right? But let's just say you want to make $10,000. Your offer below that is going to be now 40. 
right? So, so now your maximum allowable offer is 40. But if you and I were negotiating the sale of your car and you wanted 40, would you ask me for 40? No, you would say, hey, look, I want about 45, right? So you want to make your first offer less than what you actually want. Because if they take that lower offer, great, you just built in more money. Now you're getting $15,000 Simon instead of a 10, right? So that's typically how it goes. You're going to have the, the after repair value, then you're going to minus whatever percentage, right? So some markets, it could be just only 20%. What does that percentage It's just what consists, can, makes it a deal, okay. right? Um, if you had a $100,000 car and you were selling it to me for $90,000, is that really a deal? No. But if you were selling me a $100,000 car for seventy grand and it was need no repairs, that, that sounds like a deal. So that's what makes it a deal. It, it builds in closing costs, holding costs for the buyer, all that type of stuff, just to make it consider a deal. Right? So you don't get, you don't get excited on 10% coupons. 20% coupons. Not really, really. 30? I'm getting close, right? Exactly. 50? We got a deal. Right? So that will make me run out and buy something I'm going to get. So that's the same thing people say. And it's the same for bigger numbers. Uh, somebody sent me a property the other day. It was, a, it was, it was valued at 950000 And they said, uh, no, let's just say 950000 a million bucks. They're like, uh, we'll sell it to you for seven ninety. I was like, you kidding me? That's not a discount. Like, you know what I mean? So you have to discount the percentage from it, the 30. Or, you know, if you're in Charlotte, it may be 20, 25 just depending, and then you, you start deducting repair costs and then what you want to make, and then that's going to be your offer. So I can deduct what I want to make. I can just pick whatever number. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if you build the good rapport with the seller and the seller wants to sell or whatever the situation is, and look, if, listen, I, I, how many of you guys are addicted to Facebook Marketplace? I'm on there probably 10 times a day looking at stuff to buy. Not that I need anything. But there just might be somebody that may sell a four-wheeler that's worth eight grand for four grand because they need money that day, right? It's no different than going to a pawn shop. You go buy a $1,000 TV on Monday, right? Plug it up. You watch Monday Night Football. Wednesday night, you realize rent's due on Friday, and I just spent the rent check, right? My rent's 500 bucks, so I bought a $1,000 TV. You know what people do? They take it right into the pawn shop and say, what are you give me for this TV? I gave you 300 bucks. Damn. All right. Take, yeah, give it to me. <laughs> right? right? I'll borrow the other two for my mom. So that is, that's, that's the, re it's the same thing as the way we look at TVs and stuff like that is the way most people look at, like, houses. I didn't grow up where parents have multiple houses or even one house that they own. Right? So you had to... Uh, you got to think in a different mind frame. These houses are just like pawns or just like pieces on a Monopoly board to a lot of people. So don't think of it as anything special, right? So if they're willing to, 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 if they need, and there's two things to negotiate on any contract. Would you agree that it's either terms or the price? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you, yeah, so you can't have both, right? So if you want the high price, then I'm going to pick my terms. And terms mean I give you... X amount up front, payments in the back end, or if you want it fast, well, the price just went down. That's a good analogy. I should. It's a seesaw. Yeah. That's, that came, that's a thing on special. Yeah. Said. He so said you're trying to play on both sides at the same time. That's no fun for anybody. Yeah. 
So you get you get what I'm saying? So if somebody comes to you and say, look, man, called your bandit sign. Look, I want to sell my house. I just inherited it. I live in Denver. This house is in Winston-Salem. I ain't been in Winston-Salem in 16 years. This house looked just like it did when I came here for Christmas in 1994. I don't want nothing to do with it. I know that Zillow says it's worth 120. You give me 40,000, I'm out. I'm out the door on Friday. It happens often, right? So houses are just pawns, just like anything else. Yes, sir. I caught your podcast with the Airbnb arbitrage topic. Uh, one thing that I needed help clarifying was how do you insure your investment if someone were to trash the house, or not even trash it, but like cause some major damage? where you don't have the capital on hand to quite fix it? Yeah. Airbnb has a million dollar insurance for every property that you have. But you also should gain uh, renter's insurance or something like that, which is very cheap. Um, it can, like, for a regular apartment, if you live in a two-bedroom, it's like $14 a month with State Farm. Um, if you tell them that you're also doing Airbnb, they might bump it up, and it may be 60 bucks, right? So you want to double insure it. But Airbnb ensures that if the guest comes in and tears it up, that they're going to, and you file a complaint, they'll take care of it. But you also want to have your own insurance just in case. Hmm? Yes, sir. Yeah, I got two questions. So, so in an area where it's mostly renting, how would you usually find the ARV if it's not houses there are really being renovated? And two, is, is there a different formula for renting areas? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a good Adam question. But, but for me... Um, how I do it, if, if it's a renter's area, I'm going to pay renter's prices for the property. So now I'm going, so now my buyer's changed, right? So my buyer on, the, on my typical houses, 2703, 104, 105, are all going to be like flippers, right? Hot areas, 103. If you can get a house in 103, it's a flip house, right? But if you're, if you're getting something that's totally a rental neighborhood, you need to find out who else owns rental houses all along those roads. And they've been bought and sold. So your numbers are still there. They're not going to be as, as nice as you like somewhere else. But so if, you, if they can get a good deal on this house to turn into a rental, they're going to do it because that's some people's exit strategy. Not everybody's a flipper. Yeah. I would say that the biggest thing. Oh, yeah. I would <laughs> I will get this figured out before the night's over. Um, I would say that the biggest thing is that it's, it's not really about any ARV at that point, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because... If it's, a, if it's a buy and hold guy, he's not buying it to sell it. He's not looking necessarily for profit. He's cash looking flow. for cash flow income, right? So like what we do, if we're running something that's primarily like if it's a lower income or, it, you know, where the ARVs are just all over the place, you got one that sold for 20 a foot, you got one that sold for 80 a foot and it's just all over. We don't even look at anything but what, what can the, rent for? the rental income is. And then we back that up depending on what they're looking for. So like let's just say it's a buyer that says, hey, we want to get 1%, right? So what they're talking about is 1% a month for whatever they're all in for. So you know that if the rent's 700, they need to be all in that house for 70 grand. Or if they want a 10% return, you need to take the rent, annualize it, knock off 40% for expenses, and, that, and that's no debt service. But whatever that number is, that's what you're uh, that's a very close so let's give an example thousand dollars worth of rent you're gonna you're gonna roughly if that house is owned free and clear and it's a thousand bucks a month rent you're gonna net roughly give or take taxes are a big you know and, and insurance especially if you're in coastal areas um but you're gonna net roughly 600 a month off of that so instead of saying okay well the rent's got to be 
are, are, are figuring it up at. So let's figure it out. $1,000 a month annualizes $12,000 a year. Yeah. He's saying take 40% for expenses. It You're going to end up with 7200 for the year. Oh, I need a calculator for that. <laughs> You're going to get up to 7200 yeah. for the year. <laughs> So we, we didn't have a lot of fancy equipment in Mississippi, so we just had to figure it out. <laughs> Chalk. Uh, <laughs> Chalkboard. We, we were drawing in the sand, man. <laughs> um, but so, like, if your guy wants a 10% cap rate, right, a true 10% cap rate, a 10% return on his money, then he needs to be all into that house no more than 72 grand. Makes sense? No? Learn, if you want to learn about that, learn about cap rate. That's, that's a different term that renters use. Like I'm buying a 20-unit apartment complex and it's strictly on cap rate, right? So um, I, I, I want to buy it at a, somewhere between a, a 10. I want to buy it at, at 15%, but I'll reasonably take it at 9, 9% cap rate. But there's calculators to help you find out cap, cap rate online. Hmm? Yes, sir. So, um, I haven't had a deal yet, but mm -hmm. I've been driving for dollars, and I've got this house that's boarded up, mm -hmm. and I, I use Deal Machine mm -hmm. to um, do like an advanced search, and I got phone numbers and the name, but I, I haven't been able to reach anybody, mm -hmm. and um, I found out I actually know the owner's uh, nephew, okay. and I tried talking to him about it through Facebook to see if his uncle wanted to sell his house and he's kind of been dodging my uh, text messages and, mm -hmm. and phone calls now. He was excited at first and then kind of just died off. And go to the next family member and the next one. You see, I I, I found his uh, brother on Facebook but it's, uh, it's obviously his dad. I didn't want to step on people's feet. If they don't get out of the way, step on them. Yeah. I mean, you asked you asked him for it. He's avoiding you, so go to the next person. I found the owner's Facebook, but it doesn't look like it was, it was uh, active or anything. Active lately. So have you Googled? Like, you can find all. It's crazy how much you can find on Google. <laughs> Just start Googling everybody. Show up to his work. You laugh. I'd show up to your work for ten grand. Oh, I'm yeah. just letting you know right now. Yeah, yeah I, I will pull up to your job for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> hey, one of the ones that we used to do, like for people that you can't get a hold of, is if you try from one number, text them from a diff totally different number, and just say, "Hey, I got your money." Mm -hmm. I got a hold of somebody, and I and then uh, she said that I had the wrong number. But text her from a different number, say, "Hey, I got your money." <laughs> And then she's going to respond, she's going to text you back and say, who is this? And you're not going to say anything, and within about five minutes, your phone's going to ring. It's burning. Everybody wants their money. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, from a standpoint, of when from working in the finance field, when we have a property that when uh, one of our clients die and we're not able to find their heirs, uh, we use skip tracing sometimes, and if that doesn't work, there's a website. It's called uh, truepeoplesearch.com. And it's, it's just a free website. If you know their name and where they live, uh, you can just put it in, and then you can see their possible relatives. So even if you can't get the hold of the dad or the uncle, uh, you can even go a step farther and look at the cousins or any possible associates that they have. And this is a, a good way that we use just to try to find somebody, uh, even if it is just trying to get somebody their money or anything like that. So. Yeah, and I mean, my, my second deal was... 
So oh, I remember that. Yeah, my, my second deal was a driving for dollars lead, and I couldn't get a hold of the lady. I sent her mail. I tried to call her. Uh, so the next thing I did, I, I was like, this, this house is perfect. It's in, it's in a very nice neighborhood. Uh, it was worth about 300 grand. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is going to be my second one. So I couldn't get a hold of her. I tried everything. The next thing I did was look for Next of Kin on True People Search. Found, the, found the, uh, that she had a, uh, a s- two sons. One lived in New York and one lived in South Carolina. So I looked up the one that lived in South Carolina because that's where I was living at the time. So I looked up him and it said uh, that he, where he lived. I find all kinds of information on him, like where he worked, all, he worked for a developer, all this other stuff. And c- turns out I find his Facebook profile. We have a mutual friend. I contact that mutual friend and I say, hey, how well do you know him? And he goes, well, that's my boss's son-in-law. I happen to know the boss because I had a relationship working with them through Jack Links. They, they distributed our product in hardware stores. So I called him up and I said, hey, the next time you see your son-in-law, tell him I'm trying to get in touch with him about this property at this address. <laughs> next thing I know, my phone rings, right? So literally, I, like if, there's, if I know there's a, a possibility of a sale, like I don't give up. Like don't stop just because mm-hmm. you can't get a hold of somebody. That's relentless. a ridiculous reason to stop. Yeah. Y'all need to look up the definition of relentless. You should be like a shark in water. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Uh, I used the machine, like the free credit he gave me. Uh, part of the relentless like, add-on was this owner's information came back as pretty much clear, but the profile picture that it gave me was odd. So I Facebooked the name, and sure enough, it came up in the Fable area as like someone that had a Facebook. But I stopped, and I was wondering if like wanted to reach out in the messenger, but it was odd that like Deal Machine had the Facebook profile picture. Would you happen to know if that's one of their ways they pull information mm-hmm. mutual Facebook? Yeah, if you do a if you do a um, I don't know what they call their search, but a, a, a an advanced search, they're pulling all data points available to that person online. Would you guys just message it at that point, even as your personal Yeah. I even send like a dollar along with the message. Yeah, because you know there's the other inbox for Facebook. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure this goes in the real one. So send them a dollar with the message. The same opener on the camp in contact about X property. Yeah. Because you got to think. I mean, I've seen people do a. You got to think what you do at your regular W 2 job for the amount of money they pay you now. So what are you willing to do for $10,000, $15,000? You know what I mean? It, you're not breaking any laws. You're just trying to find a person. Just be relentless. Just keep going. You you can't give up. And even if if you know it's the person, just keep going. What does help solve that mystery? Like, are they using Facebook as well? Because I had found myself multiple times when it just came back. With, uh, They're pulling all types of social data, all types of points online, and bringing it back and creating a profile for that person. Yeah, it's a known thing in the data world. Let me go back to, you haven't had a question yet. Yes, ma'am. Hi, hello, my name is Chastity. Um, I've been um, driving for dollars, and one house that I found, um, I found out that the owners are deceased, mm-hmm. and I found out that they own the land next to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found their obituaries online, and I found their children. You see how women are much better at stalking? 
I'm just joking. <laughs> she, she, she went through the whole thing. She got everything. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't expect to see that they own the land um, next to the house. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know how to go about, um, you know, you know, trying to get a deal on the home. So who is who is the heirs to the property? Um, I believe the uh, children are. Okay. Have you went to the probate office and asked for the deceased person's file? No. You should. Okay. And if they don't have one, that means they probably didn't create one. But if they did, if they did create one, because most of the time when people pass away, it's just standard that once the grief period is over, there is a business side to somebody passing away, right? It just has to be done. And they could have took, they could have done that, that side of the business and, and said, nah, that house ain't worth nothing. Ain't nobody paying it. I don't want that house. You want that house? I don't want that house. And they just forget about it. So your next step, are you, what county are you in? in Easy. Go right into the probate office. Say, hey, look, I'm looking for the file of blank, blank, blank. They're going to hand you a file. You're going to look into it, and you're going to see the person who was listed as the administrator. If there's no file, then go back to your, your stalking and find somebody, look, I stalk too. Go back to your stalking and find somebody that is the person that you need to speak with. Somebody wants money, you got money for them. Can I make a comment on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely, that's why you're here. One, one, thing that's <laughs> one thing I want to point out, so especially with so many new people, right? And that's the part that I love. I love being a part of somebody getting their first deal because that's when everything changes. Just like you say, mm -hmm. you're only one deal away and that's the truth. And it doesn't take many deals. I mean. One deal a month with $8,000 deal size, and you're at 100 grand for the year, right? That's how easy that goes. Um, all of this stuff. It's confusing. It, it is confusing. And, and that's why I wanted to say all of this revolves around two things, right? You need to find people to talk to and talk to those people. If it doesn't fall into those two categories, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Right, so everything, and I mean, unless you got something to, I mean, no, one hundred percent, all of it. For if every, you're not in front of people, nothing matters. For everybody that is new, a lot of these questions are going kind of deep, and and everybody that is that is asking these questions and how do I do this, how do I do that, the basic thing is, like you said, you need to find those people and talk to them. I mean, that's been the same answer we've been giving for the last twenty minutes. Find them and talk to them. So whatever it takes to find them and talk to them. I don't care what the situation is, probate, foreclosure, I don't care. Find them and talk to them. Once you get to that point, everything is worked out through the attorney's side, right? You say, oh, great, you want to sell the house? Great, put it on the contract, take it to the attorney. That ain't the owner. Okay, let's go find the owner. Most of that is, every of these difficult questions, you're going to find out once you do a title search, and you're going to go solve more problems. You keep solving problems until that check comes. Yeah, definitely one thing that not to do is if you get a deal under contract and it's a good deal and there's issues and there's titles and there's liens and there's judgments, don't give up on it. I love those. Call somebody that, I mean, if you're here locally, call, call somebody on Max's team, right? Like, don't be so greedy to think that you have to do everything by yourself because you want all the money when you can't get the deal done because you don't, you've never been through that process before. Lean on somebody. Investing is a team sport, so the more people that you have in your network, if you've got a good attorney that you know, a good realtor that you know, a good contractor that you know, right? If you know somebody that can dispo a house real easy, lean on those people because that right there, everyone's going to be making more money together, and it's a lot more fun that way versus going, well, I got this deal. I'm going to figure it out all by myself. Nobody else is touching it. It's mine. Like, uh, it, it happens all the time where... 
like they want to call and like want me to help, but they don't want me. They don't want to give like, give me anything for for my time, my help. It's like, well, look, you know, I'm happy to help you and point you in the direction, but I'm it's not going to take some that's, work. That's about all I'm going to. Yeah, I'll tell you which way it's going to go, or I can just help you. Everybody remember going to recess, right? <laughs> no, remember that? I dropped out of elementary school. <laughs> really? I don't like playing games. Oh, you should have been in Mississippi <laughs> after the sixth grade. It was done anyway. <laughs> uh, so, everybody remembers recess back in the day, right? You remember that one kid that brought his ball to school and didn't let anybody play with it? Just sitting there, though. How much fun did he have? <laughs> right? Those things aren't any fun without somebody else. Have you done deals by yourself? Yeah. Have you done deals with people? Oh, yeah, in this, in this room. All of them. I, I love, I, we've done deals out of here where we've, We've gave, we bought deals from people. It was their first deal. I love those. Yeah. I, I will take a deal partnered with somebody before I'll do one by myself. Yeah, you I'll take I'll take half of something over a hundred percent. Like I said, all all of a grape or half of a watermelon. Yeah. Back in the corner, yes, sir. It's yeah. glad you just touched on that. But I got a question for you. Is there a certain dollar figure for the back end payout that would entice you enough to do a JV? Typically. Uh, I mean, the industry is like if you're going to do a JV with somebody, they've been helpful for you. You know, standard is 50 percent. But I've taken less. Okay. I've done flat. It's just kind of it's a negotiation. Okay. Yeah. See, Shannon. It's a negotiation, and and I typically base things just based on what my time's going to be. If it's yeah. like, hey, I got a contract, it's a smoking deal. I don't have a buyer for it, and all I got to do is make one phone call because I know who's going to buy it. Then you know, give me 20 percent. Right. I don't need I don't need that much because the most important thing that everyone here needs to realize, especially when you get ready to start selling and, and dealing with buyers, is that you control the deal. That's one thing I see in a lot of the groups. A lot of people are like, well, they're demanding I go close with this person. They're demanding I use this. They're demanding like if it's if it is price right, no one demands what I do with my deal ever. I don't care who you are, how much money you have or how many houses you've bought in the past. All you can negotiate is whether or not you, I call you back. Yeah, that's it. Bar none. There's so much money on the sidelines. The most difficult thing to do is to acquire a property at a good price that, every, that everybody can make money and uh, it's, it works for everybody. That's the most difficult thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. I want to say thank you to everybody. Absolutely. My name is Dwayne and I, my head is swimming because I've been uh, an independent title abstractor for the last... 11 years. Okay. So a lot of the stuff on your videos that you talk about, I already just automatically. Yeah. But I've been driving for dollars, and one of the situations I ran into, I found I found a house. It's in a, a trust. Mm -hmm. And I actually did a brief title search on it and found power of attorney to, I believe, a niece, and but it's a common name. And so I sent a letter to her house. Uh, she lived in Pennsylvania, and it came back. But I realize now I haven't grind enough because I went on uh, not true people search, I think true finder or something. Mm -hmm. And then they sent back uh, her information. Well, I didn't pay for it though. So then I stopped because I was like, is there a free way to do this or should I just pay for it? But I figured now I, I might as well pay the money and find out. Yeah, I mean, if, if a few dollars is stopping you from finding that out, that information, the puzzled, I would do it. 
you know, as somebody that knows about titles and, and, and stuff like that, you know that it's every time you go do a title work, it's 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 a puzzle in itself right. to putting t the pieces together. Uh, I had another question. Yeah. Can, can I add one thing yes, to that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it, as long as it's not somebody like us buying the property. Um, and, and I say that because we do stuff like that specifically to throw everybody off, right? Um, but if for the normal person that's putting it into a trust for estate purposes or whatever, what you need to go, do is go type in to true, uh, true people search the last individual that owned the house. They usually bought it and then transferred it. And then they transferred it in. So you, you search the, the last individual that had it and then see if in their relatives you see anybody that's listed as a trustee or a beneficiary or anything like that because then you know you're matching up with the right <clears> one yeah a lot of people a lot of people move see we buy directly in a trust so you will never know that we acquired it because the pre person previous to that was the real owner and then we buy it directly into a trust so you will never see us buy it and then transfer it into a trust okay. Okay. Thank you. I, the other question is, is i came here to network cash buyers, but I have a, a question for any three of you. Would you be interested in, I guess, investing or helping with developing, uh, what's it called, uh, workplace residential area? The reason why I'm asking is because my family owns land, and we were trying to sell it commercially in Guilford County, mm -hmm. we got shot down, so my youngest sister and I are planning to do a work uh, play residential about 20 so like a, a multi-use uh, like apartment with work like yeah. a place underneath it. Is it zoned that way? Uh, it's zoned residential and like industrial planning. Was it R6, R7, R8, you know? Okay. okay. Um, it all depends, right? Any, anything, if it, if. I don't, I don't do new construction. I mean like we do some new construction, but it's very selective. I don't like the development side, and I, and I say this totally unbiased because I'm out. Like all my stuff's in Mississippi. Gotcha. Um, but as far as me personally, I, again, Mississippi, I'm a very simple person, and I, I like those low-hanging fruit, sure enough deals. If just hell and high water come at the same time, I want to be able to come out clean on the other side. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you talked to any developers around there? Yeah, I think that'd be your first shot. Anybody that's building close by, is it in a, is it close to the pop? I don't. I'm not real familiar with Guilford that much. Developed. How many acres? See Shannon about it, in the back, curly hair, pink pink top. Yeah, I'm, I'll look into it. I can't make no guarantees, but I, I can look into it. Yes, ma'am. So I, re I recently reached out to an attorney friend of mine to um, see if he would do closings and see if he would review my, um, my purchase and sale agreement. Um, and he told me that, well, this might be, well, you, might, you guys might not be able to answer it because obviously we're, um, I live in Virginia, but he told me that um, recently, I think like last month or something, they passed some kind of law where you need a license a real estate license to a wholesale in Virginia. It just didn't make sense to me because there's so many wholesalers in Richmond. They did not make that long. No, not 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 that I'm aware of in Virginia because I mean Illinois they did. Yeah, Illinois they did, but not not in Virginia. Who's from Virginia? Raise your hand. 
You guys wholesale in Virginia? I know a lot of I know guys in Richmond that Chris Jefferson he wholesales a bunch. I think a lot of them all were the same. I mean, we, we had a broker license. I think our license will transfer from Virginia to North Carolina. Yeah, very easy. Yeah, so I don't I don't think that's the case. You need to, what you need to find is active wholesalers and investors and ask them who they use to close their properties. Don't try to create an attorney into something you're not. Most attorneys are like they have a niche. They're clerks, including Derek. Well, it's, I forgot Derek was in the back. He doesn't apply. No, he does, he does apply. <laughs> That's the truth of it. So you got to understand is that most people in every industry just clerk, right? Y'all know what I mean by that? Like, you, have you ever gone to a car dealership and you had that car sales that was just good? Like, really, really good? Had you in that car and you were driving away with a smile on your face and didn't even realize you overpaid till your first bill came due. <laughs> and then you go to Best Buy, is there something I can help you with? Let me know if you need anything. Right? Most people and most attorneys, most bankers, all those guys just clerk. Most of the people that get into wholesaling are going to do the same thing. They're going to be try to be order takers. You got to find somebody that is as ambitious and motivated as you are. Yeah. I've went through a lot of attorneys to find a few select good ones. A lot of them. Britt found one so good he married her. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. So um, I, just, I just recently had a deal to fall out um, on the day of closing uh, because the buyer, she brought an inspector by um, the property and um, it was pretty much like she didn't have the actual funds to you know, for all the repairs that, that was needed for the property mm -hmm. uh, from what the, the inspector uh, told her. So, because it was around like 30000 that's that's what I came up with, around 30000 because I pretty much used like the, the normal formula uh, to estimate the repairs of the, yeah. of the house. So, um, I'm just thinking like, before I actually like submit an offer to the seller, like should I bring like an expected buy uh, or something? You just took you just you just took half of you took all of a grape. You took all of a grape. You didn't call nobody for help. You wanted to do it all by yourself, and it didn't happen. You know other by, you know other people that can help you do that. Within your community, other wholesalers you could have called. You could have called Shannon to see if she knew a buyer for that on the day of closing. You could have called me. Maybe I could have bought it. Like, you know what I mean? When I, when I started this, I said this is a community game. It truly is. Yeah. Like, don't <clears> let that <throat> defeat you. Like, you need to be, do you still have the deal? Yeah. Find somebody to help you. Yeah, and I, 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 everyone in here is one conversation away from somebody that you know from getting a, getting a deal. Like, I guarantee you, you have not told everybody that's in your circle what you're doing and how they can help. No one in this room has done that, I can promise you. I know I have. I, we have like a monthly newsletter that goes out to everybody. Hey, hey here's what we're doing. Here's not, no, I'm not talking about other investors. I'm talking about people in our family, people in our friend circle. That's how you, everyone needs to know what you're doing and how they can help and how you can help them. Right, so you can talk about giving them a free flat screen TV or 500 bucks or a thousand or whatever, right? 
once you build that inner circle of everyone knows what you're doing and how they can help you, you'll have an army of people who are dying just to, just to help you because they want to see you succeed to begin with because they're already in your inner circle. And then match that with tell everyone that you come across. I, I call it the three-foot rule, right? So if I'm at a gas station and somebody pulls up next to me and they're pumping gas, well, I can pretty much reach out and touch them and they're going to be in my vicinity for more than a minute. I'm going to tell them, hey, what's going on, man? My name is Brent. Like, I know it's awkward talking to you at a gas pump randomly. I was like, but I don't know if you know of any houses or anything like that. I'm just looking to buy in this neighborhood. I don't know if you know of anybody that's looking to sell one. I'm looking for the ones that are all beat up. I, I fix them up and I flip them and all that Take stuff. Take my card. Yeah, here's my card. If you find anything, I'll give you 500 bucks. Wow. We picked up one the other day that our acquisition manager, gas station, just like that. I do want to say something in regard to pull it in hell. So, and again, I, I love people that have done no deals because you're right on the cusp of something big and you don't even know how big it is. Yes. I have a deal right now at the attorney's office, actually. I found the seller. She lives in Durham. Her mother passed away. Um, she said she had a will, but it has not been recorded uh, uh, at the clerk's office. Mm -hmm. So um, the buyer already put the uh, EMG, mm -hmm. and the attorney started the, the title search, and then he said that um, <clears throat> she needs to open up probate mm -hmm. because the will has not been recorded. Just nothing proves that she owns her mother's house. Mm -hmm. So she is willing. She already came from Durham. She got everything started. How do I secure my buyer? You Give the money back to the buyer. You're going to go through a little process. Um, that's going to take some time. How long has the person passed away? So you're past two years, so you're going to be a little bit shorter time. If your buyer's not willing to wait, let them get their money back, and then, like, you can still, the deal will still happen. It's just going to be a little bit longer. Most of the time, the buyer's not going to want to tie up their money, but you'll probably find a bigger buyer in a, in, in a month or two or less. Yeah. Because you don't have to do the whole 90-day process when somebody's been passed away for two years. Yes, sir. Um, you touched on um, zoning a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. So I ran across a house. Um, it's just sitting there. Mm -hmm. Most houses do. I said most houses just sit there. <laughs> they started it. They started building it. They built the outside. But when I looked through the windows, it's just framing it. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's been sitting there for years. Growing mold on the stuff, on the roof. And mm -hmm. Talked to the neighbor. Uh, the neighbor told me who the owner was. Researched the owner. and um, But he also tells me that the land is zoned for, resi uh, zoned for business. Mm -hmm. Does that make much of a difference in how you talk to the potential seller? Um, you know, obviously this house has been sitting here. You haven't done anything with it. You have been paying the taxes, but you ain't done nothing else with it. So they have been paying the taxes. Been paying the taxes. Have you have you got a hold of the seller? No. So that so that's all that matters right now. Okay. Are you because because you're doing all this research before you talk to the seller? He'd be like, "No, nah, I don't want to sell. I'm just waiting. I'm going through a divorce. So I'm just let it sit, let it sit." Right. So get a hold of the seller. See if they're interested in selling, and then go after the other questions. I think in Mississippi they call that putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. <laughs> we do that up here too. It's called that. <laughs> but yeah, and, and this is before we move to the next question. Um, a lot of times, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of stuff you can learn in this business, and it's it's very simple. Like he said, 
you need to be able to talk to somebody and find out if they want to sell it. You don't need to have a strategy going. But first, listen, if you can't get a hold of that person, everything, all the research you've done, it doesn't matter. Hey, Mr. Seller, do you want to sell? No. Dang, I just researched two days worth of property, <laughs> found the, this and that, blah, 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 he don't want to sell it. So find out if they want to sell it. He probably going to tell you more than you ever could research. Hey, man, I was in the neighborhood, drove past this house. I stopped, looked in the window. It's like you halfway finished. What happened? Man, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. I started building, found out it was zoned residential. I couldn't even build right there. Now I just got a piece of land sitting with a house that I got $30,000 in. I can't do nothing with it. Well, what does that mean to you? That's nothing you want, right? So you get what I'm saying? You can do, you just have that conversation. It's no different than being in a checkout line and waiting too long and you start talking to the person in front of you or behind you. Just, just ask them. They, like, people like to talk. Most people do. You'll get a lot more just by talking to the person. Hey, and just have a casual, not, hey, you want to sell? Hey, man, I was in the neighborhood. Man, that's where I walked my dog at. I seen the house. And I looked in the window, and it's halfway done. What happened? You, what you want to do with that? You mean? Yeah, I, I love people doing yard work. Like, drop down for dollars out, out in the yard working or something. Stop, stop to them. Be friendly. Hey, you drive around the neighborhood. You don't know of any, any houses around here that need to be fixed up by any eyesores that you're tired of. That's everything about it. Mm-hmm. Guess what you can ask? If you see people outside, say, how do you like the neighborhood? Right? One of two things is going to happen. Oh, it's real nice. Except for which house? <laughs> right? If they say, oh, I can't wait to move. Good. Let's sit down and talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, sir. The way I saw most conversations, I saw fish on fish. I put money off of what I see. Like, if you got a, a, like today, I, I started cracking on this guy. He had a Broncos cap on. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a team, but, you know, the Broncos were the worst team ever. When I mentioned it, they like, yeah, man, we ain't doing no good this year. Like, well, you know, I just play off of what I see. That's the most important part of the conversation, just FYI for all the new folks. Sellers don't really care about the stick, tricks, and dirt, and neither should you. It's all about getting through Build and building a report. We actually did, we went through a couple phone calls. Like just what I would consider a typical first contact, eighty-five mm-hmm. percent had nothing to do with the house. And you should be talking less on the phone and listening more. You should ask open-ended questions that get you more. Like we use CallRail, so I can see where it says agent or I forget what the other thing is, caller. And it'll say that the agent talked forty percent and the caller spoke 60, then I know that's a good phone call. That's the one you listen. If it's reverse, it was a bad phone call. Yes, ma'am. I'm Tiffany from Atlanta. How are you guys? Doing well. You drove from Atlanta? Yeah. So I think that's the furthest so far. Yeah. Hey, if you get your address, I'm sorry? we'll send you something. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I need to talk to you. Find out what you need. Right? Hey, that's a perfect example of what you do in a seller's house. Right? I'm not going to assume I know what you need. Let's talk in a minute and let me make a suggestion. Hey, what's your offer? Huh? I don't know yet. I don't know. What do you need? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, I'll do my best to get you what you need. I work at a commissioner's office in Atlanta and it's delinquent taxes and I've learned a lot about tax sales and I've purchased a lot of properties and land in other states mm-hmm. at tax sales in St. Louis and in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Now I have homes that I have people 
um, renters in the homes, but the land parcels that I have, I really don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And also, I've noticed with the tax sales, more and more people are coming to the sales now, mm -hmm. which with bigger, bigger pockets than I have. Mm -hmm. You know, my first house I purchased was sixteen hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So it's like I want to learn the wholesaling part, but what I don't understand is. How do I find what are the best areas to purchase in? How do I know this area is a good area other than doing the list source and... You said other than doing that? Learn how to do that. That's all you need to know. But how do I find out what type of area it is, if it's a rental area, if it's a flipping area, or... You understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, so let me let me get to your first question. What do I do with the land? So... Funny, when you, when you buy empty land for good money, the first person I'm going to go ask if they want to buy it is the neighbor. Okay. Right? People, I mean, listen, if you live on a plot right here and you're offering me the, house, the plot next door at a reasonable price, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Even if you've got to sell it on terms. Yeah. Right? So let me give, me give me an example of the amount of money you spent on a piece of land. Um, Okay, so here's what you do. You can easily call the neighbor that owns the house if they, if they own it, right? And say, hey, look, I got some property right next door to you. Are you interested in buying it? They'd be like, uh, maybe. But, you know, I don't want the, I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm interested in selling it, but here's the thing. I'll sell it to you for five grand, right? Or whatever the price you want to say. Give me $1,000 down, give me $250 a month until you pay off this. Right? And, and, and then, well, you just went in. I just heard him snigger. He loved these creative stuff. But the thing is, is now you just got your money back, and now you're getting this cash flow on this land that he now thinks is affordable. It could be 100 bucks a month. Make it affordable. Get out of the deal and then make it affordable over the term of anybody who do it. What, what kind of area is it? What are the houses like? It's residential. Majority of the owners in there, majority of people in the area, they own their homes. They own everything in there. So it's like it's hard for me to even find anything else that I can actually get in that particular area. But also Have you called builders? Have you called any builders? So uh, another thing that you, you said you work at the commissioner's office and you work around the tax delinquent properties. Are you actually in these? That's your job? Yeah, that's how I start learning about Okay. sales and how easily it is to get it, especially at a tax sale. Now, you guys, with you um, with the wholesale and everything, I've been doing driving for dollars for years, but that was just to get an understanding of what the property was, how it looked before I actually went to the sale and purchased it. You understand? 100%. What I'm a lot of and people so, have been doing wholesaling before it even became the word wholesale. Right. And yeah. so, and no one in my circle is doing what we all are doing, you know, and it's like, it's kind of hard to bounce ideas off people that yeah. don't know, that can't give me um, advice, you know, especially um, expert advice, yeah. experience, they don't have experience, it's like my mom's a professor, and I ask her, mom, what do I do with this land? I don't know. She says, send it to school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's what I would say, if, if, if this doesn't conflict with your job at all, if you know the properties that are coming up for sale, um, it, in, the, in the state of North Carolina, the person owns that property all the way up to the sale and then all the way 10 days till it's confirmed by a clerk. 
right? So what you need to do is be a, uh, a problem solver. So if you realize that, let's just say a property is worth 50 grand and $17,000 in taxes is owed, you need to get there before the tax sales happen, right? So you need to say, hey, Mr. Seller, I see you own this house. Worth 50. You don't say that. I see you own this house. It looks like you're about to go to the tax sale. Are you interested? Don't say that. But are you interested in buying? Are you interested in selling? Right. And if they say yes, well, and you know the numbers. Well, you owe 17. So the city ain't going to take less than 17. How about I give you uh, $20,000? I'm going to put $2,000 in your pocket and I'm going to pay off this lien here. And I'm going to fix the property up. And then all you can do is offer the property to somebody else. The numbers may not work for flip, but you get what I'm saying. The point is, is you need to get there before the get there gets there. Right, so that's one way how you can use your job to your advantage because you can see what's coming down the pipeline. And I've been doing that, Max. Um, it's just what, I, what I've been doing lately is having my son contact them. Of course, to, conflict. Yeah, because I don't want any issues with it. But my thing is finding out how do I know what type of area these homes are in or if it's in a rental area. So, so it's simple. All you're going to do is you're going to get on Zillow. You're going to put in the address and you're going to click on, you're going to click sold button over, you're going to click listing button over and rented button over. So you're going to click the red, the yellow, and the purple. I don't know how I know those colors, and the, but those are the ones you're going to click on. And you're going to see if there's a lot of sales happening, but there's no purple in the neighborhood. That means those, that's not a rented neighborhood. That's a, pur purple is rental. So you'll know that, oh, wait, this area, and you're typically going to tell by the house, the prices of the home. Right. And you're going to you it's it's easy to look at. Another way to do is do you have the deal machine app? No, I don't. So get the deal machine app. Right. And I'm going to tell you why, because you're going to be able to sit at work, type in the address and then it's going to pop up. It's either going to say owner occupied or absent. And if you keep seeing absent, 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 then that's a rental neighborhood. If if everything around it is owner occupied, that's an owner. That's an owner neighborhood. Yeah, so in our office, we use uh, PropStream. Um, you can go to maxpropertydata.com and get the seven-day seven day free trial. But it's going to tell you the estimated equity balance. It, it's going to also show you any loans that were taken out on the property, whether it's just have one or they went and got another one. But yes, the first thing you're going to do is assume. But, but beyond that, it goes to where we are over here. You already know that this is coming down. You've got 14 days, whatever. So it, it, how... so. It's printed in newspaper 14 days. How soon do you see it before then? 30 days. Um, I could see it. Actually, I could see, I could see 2020 right now. Man, I'm about to be your friend. Where you live at again? I'm about to roll down to Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta. To, I get back from Portland, Maine on Sunday. I'll be in Atlanta on Monday. No. No, you don't. No, you don't. 
say you got two things to do. Find people to talk to, which you did, and then you need to talk to them. You're doing, a, you want to do a lot of research prior to it. You just need to find, because what if you do all that research and you call that person they don't want to sell? Because I do, in Forsyth, I do, I, across the entire state, I do tax sniping. I see something's on the list. It gets published 30 days out. All the, all the, the dumb investors are waiting at the courthouse for the tax sale, and we run straight to the owner. I can fix your problem. Buyers are easy to find. Because yeah, no. <laughs> there's a clerk, there's a clerk file. Every time something's bid on, they got to put their name and address, right? That's what I'm saying. It's like I didn't realize all of this. I'm just going to tax sales and purchasing myself instead of just being able to utilize. I'm taking a picture of your information. Yeah, you married? Don't, I'm just checking. Don't get so caught up in all the details. Just go give it a shot. Right, just just go knock on that first door, go pick up that first phone call, and just reach out to them. Because I'm the type of person, I, you can either listen to rumors and, and guess at what's true or what's not, which is the research side, or you can go straight to the source and find out for sure. Look, my first deal, my first deal, I knew nothing about nothing. I just found a house, called, found the owner, talked to him, got the house under contract, didn't know what the heck I was going to do next put it on the Facebook marketplace, and I sold it in three days. So I didn't know the next step until I needed to get to the next step. It's do this. When you do that, open up the envelope, read the next step, get to the next step, open it up. You ever been to one of those places called like escape room? Right? Go to escape room. That's kind of what this business is like. You start off with number one. You go to the, you, you find clue number one. You open it up. You read it. It takes you to the next one. You open it up, it takes you to, you don't need to know what, how to get out to get into the room. And what happens if you skip one? You don't, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get out. You don't get out. You don't, you need Yeah, hope you need the next one. So, I think, I think you're in a great position to be very successful in this business. Your job has empowered you with a lot of information that people struggle to understand. Right. So you already know the tax sale and the process. So that's the most important thing that I think I've learned over all my years of investing now, which is about to be three in two days. Um, you have to. You already know this information and you understand the process. And I think that's what a lot of people don't want to figure out. Right. Instead of trying to figure out, does does this zoning correctly? Do they want to do this, do that? Find out the process because because I know the process of a tax foreclosure sale in the state of North Carolina, I know how to put myself in in there to solve the problem before it gets all the way to the end. And, and you know and your job has just taught you about that. You just need to have your sons ready to go. You need to get that. If you can see 2020, you need deal machine and you need to be sending them postcards now. So that they call in your sons in 2020. It, it works like that. You privy to information that a lot of people don't see. Yes. 
Yes, ma'am. So um, what would you do um, as far as like, when we talk about rental areas, but what about an area that is mixed, right? So there's a line of multiple <coughs> homes in the area. And so essentially I have access to probably I'm probably selling has a lot of super line of Depends what side of the road you're on, I guess. Yeah. Right, because it's it's it, investors don't buy on speculation. Like it's got to be somebody's got to be the first person to demolish a duplex on the other side of the street and build a five hundred thousand dollar home, and then the rat race starts. Right, it's just investors don't buy on, well, maybe, well, the, some of the smart ones do. If they can get it cheap enough, I'll just buy this duplex and wait, because I know the $500,000. Or buy it and tear it down. I mean, buy it, tear it down, and go ahead and start building. Yeah. If, they, if they know it's there and there's demand, they will do it, right? But again, we're, 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 I feel like we're focusing on a lot of what-ifs. Minutes. I think yeah, feel like, like we're- little, Like little things that are just keeping you from just going and doing it, right? I'm in a situation. I am the investor. I own the bank, so I'm trying to figure out what to do with the property. Sell it to Max. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what you got to do. Yes, sir. I, I got a property uh, that I want to buy. Zillow is asking twice the value of it. I went to the tax office and found out it, it's twice what Zillow wants. A sentence worth. I got the buyer's information. So you're saying you want to purchase a property, yeah. and you went. Oh, it's a piece of land. Got it. Who you know who the owner is? Yes, I just got. When I went to the tax office, yeah. Talk to them. See if they want to sell. If they want to sell. They want to sell because they have it listed. Hmm. What do they have it listed for? Well, do, it doesn't matter. Do you want to purchase it at twenty thousand? No. I want to purchase it at a tax bank, which is five thousand. How Zillow reduced it by ten thousand, mm -hmm. so you know they're saying it's worth nine now. Tax value is actually worth five five. Yeah, tax value doesn't really. Yeah, ta matter. tax value is not really. That's not going to be your true value. Like if you get it, if you get it at tax value, you got to you got to really you got good deal. deal. So that's what I, <laughs> Zillow doesn't matter. Tax value doesn't matter. The owner has a property for sale, and they're going to want to sell at this price or no price. Like he said, how long has it been listed for sale? Yeah, so Zillow will tell you. So if you go to Zillow and it's listed for sale on Zillow, you could say it would say 180 days on Zillow. Right. Yeah. 570. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. 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 Ask them, ask, call the owner directly. I see you got a piece of property for sale. Don't write it, call them. Call them. Oh, yeah, call them. Or knock on the door. Or knock on the door. Yeah. Call them. Yeah, call them. <laughs> call them. Give them a call. Okay. Give them a call. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I can, I can give you a piece too because I used to be a broker in real estate and when you're a broker you always go to owners, you're on a listing appointment, you always run into that you sit down and you say well your house is worth 130 and they say well Zillow says it's 200, I want 210 and then we'll come off of it when we get a buyer and it was never worth it. It's called lie, it's called lie to list. Credited Zillow because we used to call Zillow back in the day trash in, trash out, it's gotten better but we used to always sit with people and you know they just could not get over that whole, well Zillow says this, it's got to be worth that. 
I used to tell him, I said, you know Zillow's wrong when the, the CEO, this is back the day before the 09 crash, the CEO of Zillow had to sell his house and he took $2 million less than what Zillow said it was worth. And that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. So I'd say it to everybody and they go, huh. And it's true. You can Google it. I mean, he took $2 million less than what Zillow said his house was worth. <laughs> that's a good that's point okay, right there. Fun. And I'm not even going to knock you for two million. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay, so what do you do, like, in instance, like, you don't want um, people to, like, the lenders to pull your credit, but they ask for proof of funding, like, from the owners or the sellers? So you're saying you approach a seller and they want, like, they want proof of funds. Are you sure you're dealing directly with the seller? No. Yeah. I, I've never had a real seller oh, wow. ever ask for that's that. A, that's a good, yeah. I didn't even think about it because I forget there are some, we, we don't even list our properties. Like, we don't push them out to other buyers because we know who our buyer is usually when we're walking in it. Uh, but I know that daisy chaining is a huge thing right now where people just feel like they should get paid because they clicked a button on their email. Um, so what he's talking about is daisy chains is where a wholesaler sees a deal that, that's been blasted out. They take the email, blast it out again to somebody else with a higher price. Um, so I've never had a real owner ask for proof of funds. Yeah. Because I, I've, I used to be a broker. I've never had a seller ask a buyer for proof of funds for a house unless it was a multi-million dollar listing so they didn't waste their time showing you the house. Yeah. So that anybody says that, it keys off that this is not... Well, the actual. it's either that or I've been in the house already because I'll tell them that if they tell me there's more people coming, I'll tell them to ask the wholesaler for a proof of funds because I'm building walls that I know that other people can't jump over, but I can. So I'm, I'm gaining their trust. Well, obviously, I'm not here to buy your house, so I'm going to give you some advice. Realtors are going to lie to you, tell you that, that they can sell it for this, and eventually they're going to reduce it. Ask them if they'll list it for, for a price they know it'll sell for in 30 days or they'll take a 1% commission. Oh, I could do that? Yeah, you could do that. You can ask them to reduce their commission, but make sure they give you a price that they know they can sell it for in 30 days. So that way that you know they're not lying to you and just telling you what you want to hear, because a lot of them will do that. You got other investors coming? Oh, make sure they have a proof of funds. They have at least 2% down, you know, down payment to put down as earnest money, uh, and that the contract is non-assignable. And I'm gonna explain every, I'm gonna educate them on what that means so whenever they know, when you come in behind me and they go, hey, uh, I, I, I like you and all, but your contract, it, what, you're, what it appears to be what you're doing, uh, I don't, I don't want to do that. And then you're going to go to Wholesale Houses Elite and go in there, what do I do when they say they, want, they don't want the contract non-assignable? Well, I've already set all these walls up for you that eventually they're just going to go with me anyways. That's what I usually tell them. I was like, what's going to happen is they're going to get the contract and then they're just going to sell it back to me. So I'm just going to get it either way, so I'm not going to negotiate against myself, so I might as well not even give you a price, right? I'm just going to be your friend, give you some advice. I'm not here to buy the house. Now, if you want to sell it, I'll buy it, but if, if you want to have all these other people come in and waste my time and your time, then let me just give you some parting advice, and then we'll go that, that direction, and I'll buy it from somebody else when they get it under contract. Multiple people in one yeah. house. Yeah. I hate when they do that. Yes, sir. I have two questions for you. First question I was going to ask is, is there a list or a website where you can get a, like a list of vacant properties? There's a way to get it, yes. Um, so the, the Postal Service runs 
a list of vacant properties that are deemed, they deem vacant. Um, there's several ways you can get it, but you usually have to pay a service to get it. So literally you can, for example, you can put a list of properties through a system and it'll tell you which ones are flagged vacant that month. Um, but there's not just a raw list. You can say, hey, give me every vacant house in Forsyth County. Okay. My second question for you was, is there any like quick math you can use for going through like cases to just get a rough estimate for repairs? Like what number would you use? Yeah, look, I want to hear that. I mean, it's for what, and I feel like it'll probably be a lot the same here, right? So I just base it off of a scale. I just use, I just if it's a if it's a lipstick, which is what I call like just paint flooring, I, I'm gonna go ten dollars a square foot, depending on the neighborhood, right? If it's a really nice neighborhood, it's totally different. But for what most people are working on, median, you know, style homes, hundred fifty, hundred seventy five thousand dollar homes. $10 a square foot, which are very, very few of those, very few of those that we see that we actually purchase. And then we bump it up to about $15 to $20 a square foot based on the finishing, based on, on the neighborhood. It's going to be kind of a more of a medium rehab where it's going to be paint, flooring, and some updates. You know, maybe the fixtures, some kitchens, the cabinet. You know, we're not talking about, usually we don't tear out the whole cabinets. We'll just put, uh, refinish the doors and all that stuff to save on some of those costs. Uh, and then we go up again, you know, we have another from 15 to 20, it goes from 20 to 25. And then like a full gut rehab, we're looking at 30 to 35, right? So that's just a quick way. I walk in the house and I go, man, this place is a hole. excuse my French. Uh, it's going to need everything. I'm going to look at 30, 35 a square foot. That's how I'm going to run my numbers. And then I'm going to add 20% on top of that as a hedge, as like a hedge expense. Like, uh-oh, like I missed something. So I'm going to be very, very liberal on like... It, I'm going to always be more. My, my, my numbers are always going to be more than any contractor that I know of, except for the ridiculous ones, that's going to walk in there and say, well, this is going to take this, this, and this. So what happens is then, I know my number is probably going to be about 10000 higher than what you can actually, what, than what it actually costs. Now I know I got a deal no matter what. No one's talking me down, and nobody can come in here and say, well, you know, this, you miss this, and this, and this needs to be done. It's going to, nope, I already got it figured out. I already know because I'm already giving you a $10,000 buffer on top of what I've already said it's going to cost to repair it. And another thing to think about, too, when you're talking about repairs, you should know enough to, to again, always, if you think it's 10000 add 20%. If you think it's 20000 add 20%. Like, always keep adding to that. But at the same time, people are able to, buyers are able to rehab at different costs. Mm -hmm. There are some people that can rehab for way too, they have crews, they have warehouses, they have all the stuff, they buy everything wholesale. They can go in like these, all these, uh, uh, like I ain't dealt with one in so long, hedge funds, all these hedge funds that are coming in the markets and stuff. They have their own crews and all that stuff. They might can come in and do a, a, a rental rehab, knock it out for 17, whereas my crew, it might take me 25. Right, but because they're buying so much in bulk, they can get things cheaper. Right, so, well, don't, so we have a we have a builder too. slash contractor in the back. Uh, what what are your thoughts on repair estimates? You're not gonna like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go completely against what he just said. Oh, that's fine. Everybody has their own way. Yeah, I do, yeah. I do opposite from what he does too. Well, I've been in the market for over 20 years, and like I was telling you, I would take each property separate, completely separate. But the advantage that I have is I can go in and I can get my dollar figures for that rehab spot on. Yeah. Now, I, I don't do enough on, like you said, to, to, uh, to buy in bulk. Um, but I will take each property individually. And I don't use a 
per square foot price because in my opinion of that, which I hate to say anything against you, but um, in my opinion of that, you could possibly price yourself out of that deal. If you, it's like we were just talking, man, we were taught in the group that we got into. 20% fluff. Yeah, fluff, but I, I don't, I'm not gonna fluff my rehab. I might fluff something else to work the deal, but not the rehab because, well, mainly because I'm doing a lot of the rehab myself. Right. So if I back down, I'm losing. Well, and that's different in your case simply because you have the knowledge and you know what it costs. So I, I fluff you. both. Yeah. So I, I fluff both sides. So I go into a house, and that's how I build my buffer in between. Mm -hmm. um, but over the time, I wouldn't. I, so I get this question is very common. I wouldn't harp on hitting the number on the head for repairs. Yeah. That is the responsibility of the buyer. You, you just don't need to be telling me that it's $10,000 of repairs and base everything off of 10000 when I walk in there and it's thirty. Yeah. So it's better for you to walk into a house and I typically say, listen, this is going to be a 15, I usually start 20. It's going to be a 20, 30, 40, or a blowout, right? And, and I just need to be ballparkish yep. because what I'm telling somebody that's going to cost 20, I can get my crew to do it for about 10 or 11. Right. So everybody, like you says, every builder, every re, uh, rehabber has their own thing. So when you start going out there and mentioning rehab cost, you're going to price yourself out of a deal with the buyer on the back end as well. I simply don't like to put rehab cost on any of my deals. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to lock me in on something I said. You're not going to hold it against me when you get in there and it's double. Yeah. I simply push a deal out and this I said, is price. this is the price. Sometimes I don't even put a price on it. This is, I got a deal. Yeah. Give me a price. Highest and best this time of day. Right? If it's hot, highest and best. But my responsibility is I need to be ballparkish. You're going to know if you get a deal. If you're cutting teeth, you already don't have a deal. Right? So you need to be walking in there, looking around. I just, you just need to count how many. I can go in a house and know how many, bedroom, how many bathrooms and how many kitchens and know how much money I need to spend. Everything else is just cosmetic. And, and you may be better than me, but I mean, how many times have you estimated a job and you talk about you got to hit it right on the nail, you got it down to the dollar. Like, and that's, exact, that's the exact figure. Pretty yeah. close, but it's... I can do every one inside of $1,000. I've never been off over $1,000. That's awesome. And for this business, it don't matter. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm trying to... Because it hangs up. If you have that skill set, great. Right? But... People that flip continuously, man, they got a crew of workers. They just get the stuff done a lot cheaper. And then you have... I just got to be close. I just got to gotta be in a ballpark. I just can't be saying 10000 on a 30000 rehab. Because that stops a lot of people from walking into a house and thinking they, and, and not going to the next step. Or picking up the phone ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that's important, so like if you've got the knowledge, that's awesome. How, raise your hand if you have no idea. That's why we do the square footage. Because what, what we found is, is let's say that you're a buyer, right? You're not going to take more than one phone call from somebody that says it's 10 and it's really 30. So we need to have some sort of a ballpark. Is it going to be perfect? No. I can tell you as a disclaimer, I think we've had one in the last 36 months that was as low as $10 a square foot. And I think we've only had one in the last 36 months that was at $35 a square foot. Most of them are 15 to 25. 
and you're going to get it wrong. If you're new, run those estimates, add your 20%, follow up with whoever buys it from you. Go in before and after. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, how many Find guys how have wholesale? How many have you wholesale deal? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. How many of you have went back to the house that was that was rehabbed? How many of you visited regularly? When I first started this business, I used to go back to rehabs once a week because that relationship with the with the buyer is key. I want to make sure his success is his success is my success, right? You know what he's doing and how much it costs. Yeah. Uh, question to back. I forget your name, sir. Have you, since you're so knowledgeable and this is your job, have you ever thought about formulating like that? For, have you creating a formula for something like that? Right? Because the reason why I'm asking, right? Because this question comes up a lot, right? You're either going to have an A, B, or C type property. You know, light work, middle work, a lot of work. Have you ever thought about, you, and then you're going to have low finishes, medium finishes, high finishes, right? Yes and no. Okay. And the reason I say the no side of that is let's just take the flooring, for instance. I mean, if we're going to do uh, ceramic tile, that's a whole different ballgame from carpet. Yeah, so that, that then carpet is your lower end finishes. Ceramic tile is going to be up here for your right. finishes. But it will be really difficult to get that down to a certain dollar figure per square foot overall mm-hmm. when you've got carpet here, majority, and then you're going to fancy up the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got the kitchen to be... $20 square foot, and that one bedroom is, is $3 square foot. That's not going to compute. That's why I separate every single thing. I don't, we've, we've got somebody that separates by the room. I, I don't, like, I, I, I do by the room when I walk in there because I just know how to do that. Right. Not square footage, but I can walk in and out of the bathroom is eight grand. The kitchen's going to be 12. Here's this. And for the rest of the house, I'm going to throw general finishes. Boom. I know that for me, it's $2 a square foot for, for laminate. A dollar to buy, dollar to install. Sounds exhausting. I just know. I just know. That's, see, that's me. But I'm just saying. But but I'm saying for me is when I flip a property, that's how I go in and know where I'm going to be at. I never sit down and write numbers like this on a property. Yeah. See, I, I do a walkthrough and I, I okay paint carpet. I know I'm either going to be bang 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 because I don't have to because I'm not pricing it out to to. You know, I'm not on that end where I'm doing it for a customer or I'm doing it for myself. No. And my labor is whew, and good. So that's the advantages that a lot of big flippers have. Like they have people on staff. I have a carpenter on staff. You know what I mean? So my finishes, which is the hardest part on any project, is the fin- getting it done. You know? And our, our contractor in like our two counties that we primarily work is also a buyer of ours. And so on the deals that are, are way too thin for any of us to make sense of, he'll pick them up in a heartbeat because his construction. One of my best buyers, one of my best buyers is a Mexican contractor. Mm-hmm. He's got his own crew. You don't have to have that 70%. Sight unseen. It's sight unseen. But I don't want to keep get, I don't want to like harp on this because this is what scares people away from this business. Is thinking you have to be an expert in repairs. The, the idea is just find a deal, right? If you get stuck on that, call an expert in that field. That's it, right? And that's why I go back down to community. If you went out and you found a deal, ARV is minus 30%, and you're walking through the house, have you ever asked the seller what they think it would cost to repair? I love that. Because you know where they get their prices from? Google in the yellow phone book. Or they watch HGTV. Yeah. 
which is lovely. Which is great. New roof, 140 grand. Yeah. So I, I always, I always like if I go into a house and a seller, and the first thing I say was, like some of my, and, and probably before we get out of here, and I know we gotta leave soon. I I walk through a house and I talk to a seller, um, and, and I ask them, you know, well, have you thought about, you know, what do you think it'll cost to fix this whole house up? Well, I know the kitchen's this and that, probably sixty, and in my head I'm throwing thirty all day long, and I'm like, mm, you're a little high, about fifty-five. Would do it. So close, yeah, though. but you yeah, cost pretty close. You must know what you're doing. So you you can use you can use that. So and if then if I don't have to, I don't have to buffer the ARV, mm-hmm. I can get them all right there. But I usually ask them. I ask them. I ask them what they think the house would sell for. Well, I went on Zillow and I took ten houses in the neighborhood and divided it by ten and I got an average and I'm like right here. I mean, you're way off, but that's cool. I like your way off. Yeah. And then sometimes it's the opposite. Yeah. But and then how'd you come up with that number? The, here's the key. You get in buying. This is like that show Millionaire something something. Call somebody. Use a lifeline. Phone a friend. Phone a friend. Do something. And that's how you can get the deal done. Does everybody know how to ride a bike? Yeah. <laughs> no, man. A lot of people didn't raise their hand. Everybody know how to walk? <laughs> Did you know what you were doing when you took the first step? No. Did you fall down? I didn't fall. Did you get hurt a little bit? Yes. Can you run now? Yes. That's every life process. What in your in your position where you're at at work? Did you know everything when you started? But you started anyway. And now look at you. Give your efforts time to compound. Yeah, that's, that's really the, the, the telltale of it, really. Like, this is not a get-rich-quick. At all. It takes extreme amounts. I mean, we, I mean by the end of the week, I got up at 5.30 this morning, which is 4.30 our time. Uh, probably won't go to bed till close to midnight. I mean, that's, not a, that's a normal... We're lucky. That's a normal day for, for me. Right? I don't... I don't take really lots of time or day. I take a lot more now because I have the freedom to. But for the most part, it's it's like it's it's, it's I never stop. This is what I'm passionate about. And on top of that, being able to share and help other people find that passion and see that I can do this too. And it doesn't, you know, it's it's not hard. Like none of this stuff is difficult to understand. It just takes consistent action done every single day over and, and over, over and, and over, over again. And then there's no denying consistent action. It's, it's, it's impossible. I don't care who you are, what you do, what your background is. If you do something consistent every single day, good things will happen to you. We were listening to that. So, sorry, I know we're running. But we were listening to some CDs. If y'all want a great CD set to listen to. Nobody does. Nobody. Adam is. So, nobody listen to CDs, Adam. Raise your hand if you got a CD player in your car. So, all the people that can't ride bikes. <laughs> so, listen, Jim Rohn, The Art of Exceptional Living, will change your life. Um, and he defined. You can get it on Audible. Yeah, you can get it on Audible for those of you that are technologically proficient. Um, two things that he says. The Art of right? Exceptional Living. 
living. And, and this will be this will be the one thing, and I'm gonna shut up after this. Oh yeah. I'll talk some more. Um, the two things: definition of success. You know what it is? Repetition. Of what? A few simple disciplines practiced every day. Right? Because we get in this habit of, of thinking we want to do something big. And we put off the little things. If you just brush your teeth real, real freaking hard once a week. <laughs> right? They'll be clean for the week, right? How ridiculous is that? <laughs> right? But, but that's the way our mind thinks about all these things. But it comes down to, do you brush every morning and every night? Because that's what matters. So it's a few simple disciplines practiced every day. That is a true definition of success. You know what the definition of failure is? A few simple errors in judgment repeated every day. You guys have a choice. When you walk out of here today, you can wake up tomorrow and be a different person. Right? That's what separates can, us from any other animal. You can wake up a totally different person than when you went to bed. But you've got to do it. Yeah. It's, it's My mentor, Mr. Robinson, he says, uh, right now is halftime. You go into the locker room, and it's halftime. And you can come out, and it can be a whole different ball game. But that all depends on you. So right now is halftime. When you leave here, it's a whole new ball game. Don't get stuck on the things you don't know. Focus on the things you do know and move forward fast. Right? So, got another question, got a couple questions and then we'll get up out of here. Yes, sir. My name's Justin, still brand new, no deals uh, in the Hickory area. Um, so in all the research, everybody always talks about finding deals, finding leads, the numbers, finding buyers. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really out there, especially state North Carolina state specific, is talking about the processes between locking the deal up mm -hmm. and closing table. Mm -hmm. So, say I get a, you know, say I get a deal, I get it locked up. What's my next process? That's a good question. So you got the deal locked up, you found the buyer, right? You want to, you want to, you want to have the buyer sign your contract and the contract is not executed until they put down a deposit with that contract at your, at your attorney's office, right? So say, for example, um, you say you need to put down a 2,000 non-refundable deposit with this contract to this attorney. If you had the contract, that attorney should have already started title search. So the moment you get the contract, submit it to your attorney. Make sure you get an attorney that works with other wholesalers every single day. That's important. That's an important piece to your team. Once you get that, per that property in a contract, send it to your title company. You should be out finding a buyer. Have the buyer execute the contract by signing it and, re and giving it to you and the buyer going to your attorney's office or, or him bringing the check and the contract to the attorney's office. Once that has happened, the type the the attorney should be doing title search the moment you gave. Once they get that cleared to close, you need to have communication with the attorney and you need to be saying, hey, look, I just got a call from the attorney's office. We're clear to close. We're going to do it on this day, blah, 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 blah. You're going to go to the, you don't even have to go to the, uh, the, the closing, 
but you want to set up, if you're dealing with an attorney that does this all the time, they're going to have the seller come in, sign the doc they're going to have the buyer come in, sign the documents, drop the check. They're going to have the seller come in maybe 10, 20 minutes later, sign, the, sign their portion, walk away with the check. If they record it, on, like we record here online, so it's immediate, record, you're going to get a call from your attorney. The deal has been closed. Come pick up your check or where do you want us to send it to or where do you want it wired to? And it's that simple. So that's why it's important to have a good attorney on your team so that they can facilitate the transaction. Your job is to get the contract and you need to be in communication. See, in our office, we have a transaction coordinator. It's that person's job to talk to the seller, to talk to the buyer. And you want to keep a clear line of communication all the time. You want to set expectations all the time. You get the contract, you get title search comes back, you call the seller. Hey, title search came back clear. Looks like we're going to be good to close. As soon as the attorney gives me a date, I'll let you know. I know we said we're going to close on the 15th, but we may close earlier, but I give you a call. You call the buyer, same conversation, right? You're just managing the expectations of the buyers and seller, and you're navigating it all the way to closing. So your job is, once you hand it to the attorney, have that open line of communication. And you need to be calling every other day or every three days to the buyer and the seller, specifically to the seller to make sure that they know what's going on. Keep them comfortable in the process, massaging them all the way through. And you'll get to the close before you know it. Okay, I know you've talked about uh, in some of your stuff about, you know, you, you giving, you know, the EMD to the escrow mm -hmm. and a due diligence uh, fee as well. Can you kind of touch on that as far as how that? Yeah, so in the beginning when I started, I used to put zero dollars on the contract. I used to give zero due diligence and I used to give zero earnest money. As I started to grow and got more counsel, um, what I realized is that I needed to have monetary consideration to make the contract va valid and hold up in court if I ever had to go there. So what I do, what I consider monetary value is 100 bucks. So what I do is, for every contract that I secure, I give $100 to the seller at the time we sign that contract. Now that can be 50 bucks or whatever it is to you, but that's what I give because what that $100 does is it buys my due diligence time. Say for example, all of my contracts have at least a 10-day due diligence period on it, okay? That means from the day we sign till 10 days, I can do all my due diligence on that property. If I don't like it, if I can't find a buyer, if I see that it's got too much work, I can back out of that contract within those 10 days and you keep your 100 bucks because that's, 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 that's what I purchased. You can't, you can't sue me, you can't be mad, you can be mad all you want to. But then I give $100 to the attorney for them to, what I like to call, open up escrow. This contract, I'm giving the attorney, they're gonna open up escrow for this actual property. And that's why I give two pieces of, of money to go out to each contract. Now you can do a 50 and 50, but you need to give something, my, in my opinion. And <coughs> do, I, do I give it to them after? No, I give the attorney the earnest money deposit so they can open up escrow the moment I get the contract. And the moment I sign the contract, I'm given $100. I, we usually have, we have a bank account where we set up, we do bill pay, and boom, that person gets that money from BB&T. One, one other thing I would say is, is this, and this is coming from somebody whose wife is an attorney and deals with a lot of wholesalers. Make sure that when you drop your contract off, 
and you, and if you do not have a buyer, you let the attorney know to like, hey, hold off on title until I let you know, right? Because what happens is you're going to start incurring fees because they're going to start running title work, and if you don't close, guess who's responsible for those? My wife has probably about 3500 bucks right now in outstanding title work fees that people haven't paid her that's had to come out of her pocket simply because of people abusing that and going, I here's this, go ahead and run title. Up, oh, sorry, we didn't close, or I couldn't find a buyer. Well, you owe me this, and it's kind of hard to go after somebody for 175 bucks, right? Yeah, you got it. But done enough times, that attorney gets really, really tired of working with wholesalers. So you can open up escrow without starting the title work? Well, you'll say, look, this is what I do. Like, well, this is what I did before my wife was an attorney. I would drop the contract off, say, here's my $100 earnest money. Hold on to it. Don't do anything until I call you and let you know to run title. Because they could usually, in, in South Carolina, they would run title for me, and they'd get it back usually in three or four days. So that's plenty of time to, like, go, I got a buyer. Okay, the buyer's not going to close within three or four days. Most aren't anyway. So as soon as they, I get a buyer, okay, go ahead and run title. Clear to close, clear to close on both sides, go, right? Just make sure, like, I just want, because a lot of people don't understand that when I hand off something to an attorney and they start working on it, or a title company and they start working on it, I'm now responsible for those charges, right? If it doesn't, cl if it doesn't close out. You're not responsible for it when your buyer's paying for it, but if you don't have a buyer, that's you. Cool. Got a couple more questions. Yes, ma'am. You in the back. Yes. A separate con assignment contract for your for your end buyer. Correct. Mm -hmm. So when we have we when we get the when the buyer agrees to buy the property, he signs an assignment contract, and that's what he's delivering to the attorney with his non-refundable earnest money deposit. Yes, sir. In the back. Hi. Oh, sorry. Yes, ma'am. Question is, what would be the steps to take to start? A Airbnb. What would be the steps to start one? Um, do you have a property already? I do not. Okay. Um, do you look to purchase one or arbitrage one? Arbitrage. So what we do is we find a we find renters. Sorry, we find landlords that are looking to uh, rent their property, and we simply arbitrage it by. Yeah, we basically basically say, hey, listen. Uh, we're, we're a short-term rental company. We work with executive rentals and stuff like that. We're looking to uh, rent your property long-term and then turn around and rent it to our people short-term. A lot of people are going to be okay with it. Some people are going to be confused, but you're going to give them assurances that, you know, you're going to have extra insurance and, and all that other stuff like that. And you get a long-term, but you've got to make sure that the property is going to be rentable on Airbnb. One way we find out is we use a website called airdna.co.co. You put the property address in, the bedrooms, the bath. It's going to tell you from all the data that is gathered from Airbnb what the property is going to be worth, what the property potential income is going to become from it. So if you rent a property for $1,200 and they're saying, hey, you can make $2,400, you know, $3,000 a month, then you know that's a good property, right? Then you just go and commit. Uh, execute that contract for long-term rentals. It's pretty simple. You're going to go into a lease with somebody, you're going to turn around and put it on Airbnb. You're going to it's like you left and you're subletting your apartment. That's really it. You're just doing it with multiple people. And if you, there's a guy, um, Tommy Holt. He was on my podcast. 
he just put out a course for that, I think for like three, four hundred bucks. And he goes through step by step, the contracts and everything. And that's a good investment if that's where you want to go. I've done it. It works. You just got to, it's, it's just like anything else. You're going to beat the phones and find the right landlord. But it works, and it truly is income without having to purchase a property. Um, you guys, I know Brother Max, um, I'm proud of you because I've seen you when you are way down. Start, right? <laughs> so I believe this works, and it's good to see that you are open up to share all the ideas. Thank you. I'm also asking if it's possible you can do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So, yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't have the time for one-on-one -on -one coaching. I barely have enough time for myself. I, I do a lot of things in real estate, and then I do a lot of stuff outside of real estate. I have about five different businesses. Um, so I don't, the reason why I can never do one-on-one -on -one coaching is I don't want to take your money and not give you everything. Now, these guys do it, but I, I don't do it because I don't have the time. Like, I leave early in the morning. I head out. I've flown 250,000 miles this year already, so I, I spent a lot of time in a plane. Um, I just, I just, I don't want you to pay for something and you not get above and beyond what you pay for. Yeah, go ahead. I know you're not a fan, but if, if you were to do a double close in North Carolina, you mm -hmm. have to use transactional funding or some attorney to really use the buyer. I heard there are some attorneys that will use the end buyer's money to do both. I, my attorney from day one told me he wouldn't do it, so I built my business around not doing it. Right. Yeah. But if you need transactional funny money, I did it. In let me know. South Carolina. Let let Shannon know. If you need, because I do transactional lending. It's one day in and out, the same day. Comes back. Um, I, there is there is a cost to it. I think anything below hundred thousand is just a flat two grand. All right, we're done. So I appreciate everybody coming out. I hope you've got some value added. Um, I know there was a lot of in-depth questions.